What if I were to tell you that there is a silver bullet for proving the Quran and thus the Islamic faith false? Admittedly, I may be oversimplifying things, but as Christians, we know that all other systems of belief will ultimately prove to be false before our God. It may not be as simple as proving to someone that gravity exists or that the earth is round, but it may not be as difficult as you might think. In lieu of sounding like some sort of expert, I want to say that I know very little about the Quran and the Muslim faith, but I've begun to become a student of it so that I may be better equipped to evangelize my Islamic friends and neighbors. And I've listed all of my sources in the transcript, which can be found on the 1618 website. You can find the link for that in the description. And I would like to give special mention to... James White in his book, What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Quran, as it has served as my primary source in these discussions. Well, any Muslim worth their salt will tell you that absolutely everything in the Quran is true always has been true, and always will be true. I expect the same statement about the Bible to come from my Christian friends as well. For example, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, that God does not lie. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, that God does not change. And in Psalm 119, verse 89, that the word of God is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. If all of these statements are true, then everything in the Bible must be correct. And and if one thing that the Bible claims is proven to be untrue, well, then all of Christianity would crumble. Likewise, the Quran, which is claimed by traditional Islamic orthodoxy to be the uncreated word of Allah, untainted by human hands, if the Quran were to be proven wrong at any given point, then any honest Muslim would have to accept the fact that Allah is wrong and thus not the true God. This brings up an interesting difference between what Muslims believe about the Quran and what Christians believe about the Bible. Both worldviews claim that their God was never created. Uh, in Greek mythology, as a contrast, you have the god Chaos, who I guess embodied the empty void in their creation accounts, and the goddess Gaia, or uh, the goddess who embodied the earth, and they somehow procreated and started the process of producing other gods and goddesses to rule different parts of our universe. My point is that the creation of a god in Greek mythology is not a difficult thing to accept or understand. This, however, is utter blasphemy both for the Christian and the Muslim. But what is the difference then with regard to how our holy books came into our hands? For the Christian, we believe that over the millennia, God used human authors as his medium for writing down his words. Does this mean then that the words of God are tainted by human hands? If by tainted you mean involving errors or untruths, then absolutely not. However, if you mean including the author's individual touch, voice, and even intention, then yes. The one the wondrous mystery of the Bible is that we have God's word transmitted through God's people in a perfect way. This is not quite a shared view for the Muslim, however. Sheikh Abu Amar Yasir Gadi, author of Ulum al-Quran, An Introduction to the Sciences of the Quran, offers the most widely held uh, orthodox view of the Quran. He says in his book, one of the more appropriate definitions is as follows. The Quran is the Arabic speech of Allah, which he revealed to Muhammad in wordings and meaning. He he also says, the words of the Quran are from Allah and not from Jibril or even Muhammad, as some of the innovated sects of Islam allege. How then does this understanding of the Quran help us as Christians seeking to speak apologetically for the Bible and attempting to win arguments against the Quran? It lays a heavy load upon both the word of God and the Quran. Both claim that they are the word of the only true God, so one must be completely true and the other completely false. For millennia, people have tried to prove 
prove the Bible wrong, and many have claimed that they have done so, but time and time again, all evidence against the Bible and the Word of God ultimately proves to be faulty. One of the main attacks against the Bible has come in the form of textual criticism, but the Bible is supported by far more early manuscripts than any ancient writing that we have. As one scholar puts it, no other ancient work comes close in terms of the number of manuscripts that survive, or the time span between when the work was written and our earliest copy of that work. For example, Plato's works apparently survive in just seven manuscripts, dating some 1,200 years after they were first written in AD 900. A similar number of manuscripts and span of time between the date of writing and our earliest copy exists for the Greek historian Herodotus. Similarly, although the Greek playwriter Euripides has over 300 manuscripts or manuscript fragments, most of these date to some 1,500 years after they were written. Homer's Iliad survives in 643 copies, but our earliest dating is from about 500 years after it was written. But with the earliest fragment of the New Testament coming in the 2nd century, the amount of time passed between the time of writing and our first copy is less than 100 years. The New Testament is thus the best attested and most attested document that survives from the ancient world. Now you may be asking if the Bible has stood the test of time, has the Quran? Well, I titled this episode A Silver Bullet for a reason, and in many ways it's straightforward, but as with any debate lasting centuries, in many ways it's not. Remember, just like the Christians claim with the Bible, the Muslims claim that the Quran is the unchangeable, perfect word of Allah, and it must all be correct. So what's the silver bullet? It actually has to do with what the Quran says that Christians believe about the Trinity. Christians, as far back as the early church, have accepted as general orthodoxy that the Trinity consists of the Father God, the Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. How we understand this mystery has been debated for centuries, and at the end of the day it has been accepted as something preciously sacred, yet beyond our earthly ability to fully understand. Regardless of the difference of our understanding of the Trinity, it has always been declared in all of accepted Christian orthodoxy that the Trinity consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And anyone who has claimed otherwise has been labeled a heretic. Why is this important? Because this is very clearly not what the Quran claims that Christians believe. In the Quran, specifically in Surah 4, 171, the Quran specifically calls to Christians to not believe in three, or as we would understand the Trinity. It says, O people of the book, commit no excess in your religion, nor say anything but the truth about Allah. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of Allah, and his word which he conveyed to Mary and a spirit from him. So believe in Allah and his messengers, and say not three. Obviously, the Quran commands against the worship of a triune God, but how does this contradict the Christian view? The Quran is notoriously difficult to understand as there is oftentimes little context or discourse offered on various topics. Because of this difficulty, there has arisen a vast and widely accepted number of commentaries, narratives, and explanations. These writings are broadly categorized into two groups, the Hadith, or accounts about Muhammad as related by him or his companions, and the Sunnah, or the practices that have been established based upon differing accounts and explanations offered by various Islamic priests and scholars. While these writings do not hold the full weight of the word of Allah, and thus do not necessarily condemn the entire Islamic religion if proved false, they are important to study as they give evidence into how the Muslims understand the writings of the Quran. I will provide two short 
examples from these writings that support my argument. First, in the Tafsir al-Jalalan, it is written, So believe in Allah and his messengers. Do not say three gods, Allah, Isa, and his mother. It is better that you stop saying these things. Affirming the divine unity is better. Allah is only one God. He is too glorious to have a son. As we have seen, the Quran claims that Jesus is not the son of God because God cannot have a son. It equates Allah having a son with the necessity of Allah having a consort. In the Quran, it says this plainly in Surah chapter 6, verse 101. The originator of the heavens and the earth. How can he have a child when there is for him no consort, when he created all things and has knowledge of all things? So the first of the two writings that I have shown show that the understanding is that Christians worship three gods, Allah, Isa, and his mother, Mary. The second writing that I would like to address is by a 20th century Islamic theologian and commentator who writes more straightforwardly about this topic. He says, the word three is the predicate to an understood subject. If one accepts the Christian view that God exists in one nature with three divine persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then one must supply the subject as follows. God is threefold. However, as a faithful Muslim, this commentator had to declare that this was in fact not the understanding of Christians because he would be contradicting the Quran. He says, according to the evidence of the Quran, the Christians maintain that God, Christ, and Mary are three gods, and that Christ is the child of God by Mary. This is overwhelming evidence as far as the general understanding among Orthodox Muslims are concerned that the Quran completely misrepresents the Christian understanding of the Trinity. But what about the Quran? We've heard how the Muslims interpret the Quran, but that isn't enough for us to have a silver bullet. What does the Quran say that we can point to when having debates with Muslims? In Surah 5, 116, it says, And when Allah said, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to mankind, Take me and my mother for two gods other than Allah? He said, Transcendent are you. It was not mine to say that of which I had no right. Now, for those of us who are not so familiar with the Quran or its general syntax, James White sums it up for us by saying, No other Quranic text is as blatant in its misrepresentation of the Trinity. The charge is polytheism. And here alone is the three so listed, that being Allah, Mary, and Jesus. Nowhere does the Quran ever give Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or even Allah, Son, and Spirit. Let's recap. If the Muslims claim the Quran to be the uncreated word of Allah, Allah, given through the passive prophet Muhammad, then everything within its pages must be completely and eternally correct. However, as we have seen, the Quran claims that Christians believe the Trinity to consist of God the Father, Mary the Mother, and Jesus their Son. No matter how much you want to say against the Catholics for their adoration of Mary, they have never declared her to be a God. And never in Christian orthodoxy has this been an accepted position. If Allah, the apparent all-powerful, all-knowing, one true God, is wrong about what the Christians believe, then how can he be the one true God? As we look at the Quran through a Christian worldview, we can understand that it's much more likely that a false prophet named Muhammad witnessed the growth of the early church in first century Arabia. And without fully understanding what these Christians believe, he wrote down these words to further deceive his followers. As I finish this episode, I want to add that as Christians, no matter what arguments we bring up, no matter how many debates we might have, no matter how long we might talk to someone and explain to them the truth of the gospel, we do not have the power to change their heart. Only God can do that through the working of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we are called to spread the gospel according to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and our job is simply to go and proclaim the gospel to anyone who will hear it. But it is up to God whether or not that person responds, and all any of us can do is be faithful ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ with which we were so graciously entrusted. 
Thank you for listening to 1618. If you made it all the way to the end of this episode, I thank you for your attention and support. As I've said before, I take on these issues to give you the tools to engage your neighbors, your coworkers, or strangers that you meet at the store or at the park or on the street, or even your own family members in discussions about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that God may use you wherever you may be to win more souls for his kingdom.